What's up guys, welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. In today's episode, I have created a kind of bonus episode because I screwed up and last week I was in the middle of editing my conversation with Dave Goodfellow, which is episode 80 if you're listening at the moment. And it was meant to go out on Monday morning, uh, i.e. right now, but I accidentally hit the wrong tab in the software and sure, suddenly I look down and I see that it has already been uploaded. And uh, so midweek last week, the episode 80, which was supposed to go out today, was uploaded. So there's a good chance that you may have already heard the episode that's supposed to be out today. And so I thought that's going to be a bit of a bummer for some of you guys who are regular listeners. So I will do this quick bonus episode just so that you have a little bit of extra content and uh, so you won't be feel like you're you've been hard done by and so i'm going to cover just a couple of real estate news updates and a couple of other updates so it's going to be a short one it's really just to kind of get things back on track and then next week we'll be back to the regular schedule so without further ado let's get into the episode are listening to Behind the Facade. I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset, your behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. No sooner had I hit record on that intro and I started thinking, So I'm going to ask you guys a quick question. Would you like this bonus episode format to be continued and go out maybe in the middle of the week? Just something for you guys to have some thinking about. The format today is going to be uh, more kind of real estate news and updates. It's going to be a short one, but um, I'm just thinking whether a midweek bonus content kind of show would be of interest to you. So look, if you guys feel like letting me know and dropping something down in the messenger or in LinkedIn or whatever, let me know. Anyway, let's get into the first topic I wanted to discuss, and that is a report that was issued last week called the 10 scenarios that could impact global uh, growth and inflation. And it's a report that's come from a company called the Economist Intelligence Unit. And uh, now I believe that is a a think tank and it, um, I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll, I'll read out, first of all, I'll, I'll just start by reading out the, the summary of the 10 scenarios that they believe represent kind of a risk to the global economy. So number one is worsening the, the, the worsening of US-China ties um, and that it will force kind of what, it's, what it calls a full decoupling in the global economy. Now I'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, number two, they have down here as a, a a big risk is an unexpectedly fast monetary tightening that leads to a U.S. stock market crash. Uh, number three, a property crash in China that leads to shark a sharp economic downturn. Now, does that sound familiar? I wonder what property company they're talking about. Uh, number four, tighter domestic and global financial conditions derail the recovery in emerging markets. Number five, that a new COVID-19 variant emerges that proves resistant to the new vaccines we've all started uh, seeing around. Number six, widespread social unrest weighing in from the global economy. 
Uh, number seven, conflict erupts between China and Taiwan, forcing the U.S. to intervene. Number eight, EU-China ties worsen significantly. Number nine, severe drought prompts a famine. And number 10, an interstate cyber war cripples state infrastructure in some of the major economies. So that is the headlines. Those are the, that is basically the summary of the top 10. And I think I'm not going to, as I said, it's going to be a short episode, so I'm not going to dwell too much on this, but it is interesting to see because what they've done is they've actually gone and they've rated it in terms of its um, probability. So the ones that they've put at the very top are number one, the worsening US-China ties forcing a decoupling in the global economy. They have that as a very high impact on the economy and a very high probability. Then they have the second one, unexpectedly fast monetary tightening leading to a US stock market crash. Now the funny thing is it's the reverse here. They have it as the impact as being high, but the probability as being very high. So that is an interesting one. That is in risk intensity 20, right up the top. And then number three is a property crash in China leading to sharp economic slowdown. They have the impact there as very high to the global economy, and they have the probability as high. Now that again, you know, let's not even mention the company that I've been talking about every episode for the last couple of weeks but it is there as a risk intensity 20 item so it's um just shows you that uh, there is big risks attached to that to the global economy now the next one after that is slightly less um it's the tighter domestic and global financial conditions derail the recovery in emerging markets they have that as a, as a number 16 so it's a high impact and high probability Number, well, the next one after that is is rating 15, so it's slightly lower than the others, and it has the new COVID-19 variant, and it has, the impact is very high, but the probability as moderate. Then the widespread social unrest weighs on the global recovery. They have that as the impact on the economy as quite low, but they have the probability as very high. So that's interesting to see. Now that only has a score of 10. Then they have another score of 10. They have conflict erupts between China and Taiwan, forcing the US to intervene. They have that as an impact, as a very high impact, but the probability is very low, or is just low. And then scoring number nine, scoring at nine is EU-China relations worsen and it has that as moderate and moderate in terms of impact and probability then it has the severe drought prompts a famine impact moderate probability low and then finally the interstate cyber war cripples state infrastructure they have that as impact as low and the probability as moderate and that's down there with a score of six so what do all of these things mean? Well, I mean, I've already been talking about China, and if you go back two episodes, you'll be able to hear my talk about Evergrande and what's what's the big risk there and the size of the China market compared to the rest of the world and things like that. So the, the, the number one scenario is actually the worsening of ties between the US and China. And what they're saying there is that with all of this kind of argy-bargy back and forth between the two economies, that what will happen is that you'll have Western countries like America and its allies 
will kind of group together and decide like to kind of put pressure on China. But then equally on the China side, anyone who is working closely with China in that part of the world will take their side and it'll be kind of like two economic economic powerhouses kind of pushing each other around. So that could be problematic. Number two, unexpectedly high monetary tightening leading to a US stock market crash. Now that is actually something that I've been kind of warning about as well. It's it's based around inflation. And everyone is talking about inflation. And the reality is is that you know the inflation, they're all saying it's transitory, which means you know it's only passing and everything will be back to normal in no time. But I wouldn't expect them to say anything else because nobody ever wants to spook the market. And so nobody's going to say we're in for massive, massive inflationary problems because if somebody said that, it would just cause this kind of massive overnight kind of crash. Nobody's going to do that. So they want to kind of you know peacefully sort of get the market to kind of calm down. Uh, but the reality is, is, we all know, I just filled up my car this evening and the cost of it is insane. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, everyone else is feeling that. You've also got stuff in the shelves and the supermarkets, that's all gone up in price. Why? Because the cost of shipping containers from China and whatever has all gone up. The cost of truck drivers and lorries and deliveries, all of that has gone up. So everyone is feeling the pinch. And on building sites, you're, you're feeling the pinch as well. So for somebody to say that this is just, you know, passing, I'm not so sure because, like, how are we going to pay for all this? Like, if, if my fuel costs are going to continue going up like that, I'm going to have to charge somebody extra somewhere along the line in order to be able to afford that. Like, I'm going to have staff asking me for pay rises because they can't afford the fuel any longer. So the pay rises that I have to pay have to get passed on to somebody else. And so it goes on and on and on. And that is kind of where things are heading there. Scenario three, they're talking about the property crash and the economic slowdown and they mention Evergrande and all that. So I'm not going to go into that one. I've already done a whole episode on that which was episode 79, I think it is. Scenario four, the tighter domestic and global financial conditions. That's just with inflation again. Then the scenario where they have the new COVID strain. I mean, you know, that is kind of like a crystal ball situation. It's very hard to kind of predict whether that will happen or not. Uh, widespread social unrest. Yeah, I can actually see that. There's a lot of people starting to get kind of angry about the you know, you've got people like Elon Musk, whose wealth has gone up to 270 billion now. So in the last 12 months, his wealth has gone up by over 100 billion, which previously was kind of the wealth of Bill Gates. And Elon Musk has added Bill Gates's wealth to his net worth in the last 12 months. And yet you've got people who are kind of unable to afford things. So there is a definite disparity between the haves and the has-nots, and I think that's leading to the potential for that. Conflict erupting between China and Taiwan. You can kind of see it building up there, but I don't know what the probability is. I'm not into that side of the world uh, much. EU-China relations, similar to the US-China. And then the severe drought. Again, you know, hard to predict the weather. Uh, but it does seem to be kind of going down. Anyway, I thought I would just share that because I thought it was valuable. It was something that kind of caught my eye and immediately thought to myself, whoa, you know, got to go and pay attention to these things. And just um, the idea is, you know, you won't, you don't necessarily going to, you know, go ahead and change your whole portfolio structure or anything like that. But I do think that when there are risks like that, that could derail the economy, it is always wise to sit back and think to yourself, 
you know, if something like this came out of the blue, how would I be fixed? I mean, in terms of your interest rate that you're paying, like if that was to go up, how are you fixed? If you're trying to kind of offload a property, if you're flipping properties, as an example, you want to make sure that you're, you know, you've got a contract to sell, flip on the thing pretty quickly, because if the economy was to kind of turn quickly and you're stuck and you can't flip your property. I know some people who did that. They bought properties. They couldn't actually afford the property, but they put the deposit down and they were selling on the contract for a higher price. But they never intended going ahead with the actual full purchase. And then they were actually forced to go ahead with it. And so it was, um, you know, you're forced basically to go and take a loss as the market crashes. So there are definite risks out there. And you just want to make sure that you're not kind of playing too close to the wind. It's been up, up, up for the last 10 years. A lot of people have become used to the market always increasing. And it's easy to forget that the market also goes in the reverse and actually can go back down again. And so... It's very easy for you to kind of forget that and think to yourself, hold on a sec, in a year's time, I could be, my property portfolio could be 20% less than what it's worth now. And if that was the case, how would my portfolio look? And um, would I be able to make the payments to the various uh, creditors and lenders and things like that? So the next thing I want to talk about uh, onto a kind of different topic, but kind of related, I guess, is this at the moment in Glasgow, you have the COP26 climate. That's the UN climate uh, conference, climate change conference. And it's um, it's all about the environment. And the, the past week, uh, it's been interesting. I've been actually having some meetings with our banks and uh, the conversation has been almost completely dominated by ESG and I know I've actually done a an entire episode on ESG as well so if you want to go back and have a look through my previous episodes you'll find a whole episode on ESG and what that is but to say that it it has become important is a major understatement virtually the entire conversation with the bank was dominated by ESG and how we can improve our environmental credentials how we can kind of you know move towards a net zero carbon footprint and uh, it's kind of ironic uh, because as I'm watching the COP22 the news headlines and stuff like that I'm getting a little bit frustrated listening to the politicians because it's all talk and no action you've got you know you've got Biden and you've got Boris Johnson and you've got you know Russia and China they're all out there talking it up about you know how important this is and stuff and then when it comes to actually committing to you know lower output of emissions and things like they all say no way you know they can't go that far and so and then you also have them you know signing over you know relief for coal and oil and you know removing tariffs and things like this so it's kind of frustrating that you know they're saying one thing out of one side of their mouth on the other side of the mouth they're saying the opposite or they're signing agreements and they're getting lobbied by the the fossil fuel sort of uh, interests so but then again like it's it's no surprise politics is a brutal business and you really cannot win and no matter what policy they sign like if they go and say that they're going to do all of this stuff for green uh and it means closing down say a coal plant or closing you know um it meaning the culling of thousands of uh, of cattle um you know, you might have one side of the population sort of cheering that finally they're starting to take action, but you're going to have the other side of the population that's actually impacted because they've lost jobs or whatever. They'll be on the, you know, on the attack. 
And so the opposition parties jump in straight away and start criticizing and, you know, start to sort of point out how they've alienated this other side of the market or other side of the voters. And so you just cannot win. Now, but what I am seeing very clearly is that the corporate uh, world is actually taking action, starting to kind of really get behind this. And it's starting to gather a lot of momentum. And I mentioned already the, you know, the banks conversation, but I, I reckon if you're not starting to focus on ESG, if you're in the in large corporate sort of businesses, you are toast. It, it is just, it's starting to kind of really become a major important thing. And I, I've been having conversations with tenants of ours and the only thing they'll spend money on is something related to ESG. That's the only thing that they will spend money on at the moment. And so it is. Uh, it also presents an opportunity. If you're out there and you're doing something, if you're selling a product that ticks that box, then happy days. You're going to probably find that you're able to sell that stuff quite easily compared to anything else that you can sell. And the next thing that I actually noticed in the headlines on the papers and stuff, and it's kind of related, is that there was this headline in The Guardian last week, and it was that half of the world's fossil fuel assets could become worthless by 2036 as the net zero transition kind of comes along. Now, what they're saying there is really interesting, and it's actually something that I can kind of relate to, is that, you know, as we move towards net zero, and everyone's talking about 20. 30 and 2040 and 2050 being you know the year that we all become you know net zero um but the reality is is that you've got these huge businesses like oil businesses and coal businesses that have billions and billions in assets and there's just suddenly going to become a point in time where those assets are not worth anything to anybody because there'll be so much taxation on them or they'll be just so out of you know <laughs> out of favor in in terms of you know either coal or oil or gas or whatever it is that they'll just be so much uh, they'll just be so out of favor that nobody will be there to buy your assets and so they're actually predicting this report that it could be an 11 trillion dollar um, asset crash in terms of prices and it could it could actually cause a 2008 style financial crisis because a lot of investors are invested in this 11 trillion and if that amount of money was to drop out of the market in terms of values you're going to have a lot of pension funds and you're going to have a lot of major investors that suddenly cannot offload these assets and if you start to worry that that's a risk in the future well then you bring forward your selling and your divestiture plans and you'll actually be saying why wait until 2036 why not bring it forward to 2030 and then you say well if 20, you know, maybe people are going to start doing it before 2030. So should, we should bring it forward so we're not caught up in that stampede. And next minute you find that they bring it forward to 2026 or something. And anyway, it's something to bear in mind. And it's also another thing to remember. I think that um, houses and, you know, domestic investment is going to start to come into the crosshairs in the next, uh, in the next while. And um, if you've got no investment in, you know, making your building more efficient and stuff. I think it's going to start to make it less attractive to people who are going to have to buy it and then spend all this money on upgrading it. And I've mentioned it, that it relate, I can relate to it. It's because I was involved in the car parking business about five years ago. And we built this car parking uh, structure. We built this building 
and uh, we, when we, we built it and we sold it and we leased it back to ourselves so that we could operate a car parking business. And um, it was part of a tax break and all this kind of stuff that was, that was done at the time. But we, we entered into a 35-year lease at the time when we did that. And 35 years, you know, that's like more than a generation. So seems like a very, very long lease. And, uh, and it was when we signed it. But then 10 years goes by and now you have a 25 years remaining and it's still, you know, that's about a generation. So sounds like a lot of life left in your lease. But funny enough, another 10 years have passed and it's, you know, it, it sounds like a lot when you're when you're talking about, you know, a decade passing and a decade passing. But when it actually when you're actually reflecting back, for example, I look at my kids now and I have a 17 year old daughter and it's not that long ago. I can remember her running around as a seven year old and it's not even that long ago. I can remember her as a one year old. And so 17 years or 20 years like it really does go in the blink of an eye or it certainly feels like that when you're looking back. So this this car park business we had with a 35 year lease suddenly we were down to a 13 years left on the lease and as each year sort of runs out the business is less and less and less valuable uh, because you're thinking that you know the, the potential for that business is is growing less every year because you don't know whether you can renew that lease you don't know whether the building will come up for redevelopment or whatever and so it just i can just see how suddenly it might seem like 10 years is a long way away. But actually, when you start thinking about the next rent review or when you start thinking about when will people want to get ahead of that kind of erosion of value, they might want to kind of jump three or four years ahead. And so you might just find that it's better to get out sooner rather than later. And that brings everything kind of forward. So anyway, the final topic, and it's all tied into this same kind of conversation, is uh, an announcement during the week from the Irish government. Now, I think if you're listening in from the UK or the US, I think you do want to pay attention to this as well, because I think it all connects to everybody who has a home or uh, owns residential assets. So the Irish government announced that they this house retrofitting plans that they have. So they have a national plan. They basically, they've come out with this climate action plan. And the climate action plan is... Put, they put a cost on it of 125 billion and part of that um, plan is to retrofit existing houses so houses that people live in that are not efficient from an energy rating standpoint and they want them to take out their gas boilers and take out their oil boilers and they want to you know properly insulate them put in double glazing all of this stuff and they've come back with an estimate of the cost of doing all of this. And it is 28 billion euro. And what they're saying is that in order to cut uh, greenhouse gas emissions in 500,000 homes by 2030, they estimate that it'll cost 56,000 euro per household unit. And uh, this is to bring existing houses in the housing stock to the level of B2. And it also includes the installation of a heat pump, which is a very efficient form of uh, heating system, whereas you would be removing your gas-fired central heating or your oil-fired central heating. Those are all going to be outlawed very soon. Now, just to give you an idea, in the last 12 months, something like 18,400 homes have been retrofitted 
in Ireland and only 4,000 of those were brought up to the standard that we're talking about. So those 18,400, 12,000 of those have to actually undergo additional retrofitting to get them up to the standard we're talking about. But what was really interesting was the actual headline. Underneath the headline, it said that the majority of these costs will have to come from the individual owners and the private sector. So only one third of that 28 billion is going to come from the public purse. And so what that says to me, and it's a little bit of a, of a flag, is that they are going to be having a carrot and stick approach to carbon, um, you know, to basically bringing down carbon emissions. And the carrot is going to be, here you go, guys, you can have one third of the cost of doing this to your house and uh, retrofitting your house. But there's most definitely going to be a stick there behind. And if you are not investing this money, you are going to be taxed much, much higher. Your fuel costs are going to be much, much higher. You're probably going to have property taxes that are much, much higher because your your property is deemed to be inefficient from a carbon standpoint. And therefore, it'll be taxed at a higher level. And I think that's going to be across the board. They are talking about this new carbon tax that will bring in billions every year. And you only have to look around at the at the you know real estate market. Forty percent of all greenhouse gases come from real estate, so those billions are going to be coming from real estate. And so you want to make sure that you're now either putting money aside or starting the investment program to upgrade your buildings. And there's going to be grants and there's going to be all of this kind of stuff that they start paying, you know. But it's not going to fund all of it. So don't you know. Don't be sitting back waiting for somebody to write the check. You better be putting the money aside because I do think it'll come to the point where you simply can't rent your property because what they'll probably do is they'll put the tax on the rental uh, tenant and so it'll be forcing the tenant to find a cheaper property and if the tenant finds a cheaper property, um, you know, pays less tax basically because they're in a more efficient property that will encourage landlords who don't want to be, you know, finding that their properties are unlettable or unrentable. Now, the final thing that they said is that they're actually going to be bringing out a loan scheme. So they'll be giving everybody who is going to do these upgrades uh, access to a cheap money. Um, but it's still a loan that has to be paid back. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. But one, some of the good news, I mean, obviously want to end on a, on a positive note, that is, it's going to be a lot of new jobs, new qualifications, and a lot of new business opportunities. And I was talking to somebody on Saturday, um, and I was just mentioning that, you know, he's in, the, he's in the industry, that this actually could be an opportunity for him. And um, I certainly believe that all of this green stuff and retrofitting and you know upgrading homes and stuff i think that is going to be a big opportunity for a lot of people in certain sort of sectors and and currently here in the business park i run in east point we are looking and we're making plans towards turning this into a net zero business park and so there's a lot of investment involved in that but um and then finally my own little update just to let you know i am currently hosting a weekly property investor round table and uh, I've already done a couple, and if you can't actually make it to the to the thing to the event itself, the live event, you can actually watch the video playback in the uh, Facebook group. So if you want to join the Facebook group, if you're not a member, it's free to join, and it is called the Behind the Facade Community. 
click on that there and I'll invite you in and you can go and watch those uh, free training sessions, workshops that I do. All right, guys, that is the show. I will see you all next week. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you enjoyed it or found it useful, please take a moment to leave a review over on iTunes or indeed share it with a friend. This really helps the podcast grow and reach more people. If you have any questions, please connect with me via the Facebook group Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, you will find me on social media under my handle Gavin J. Gallagher. And you can stay up to date with all the projects I am working on by joining my tribe. Do that by adding your name and email over on my website, gavinjgallagher.com. That's all for now. See you back here next week. <music>